welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am excited for another episode and a great conversation today, continuing our dialogue on leadership through crisis, and in particular, financial services and where we think the industry is going. As someone says, where's the puck going? I'm really excited to have Michael Bryan on the line with us today. Michael is the CEO of Triad Hybrid Solutions down in Atlanta, Georgia, or north of Atlanta. Michael, how you doing? Doing well. Nice to be with you, Frank. Awesome. Awesome. That's a definitely a nicer background than mine. So I guess I got to work on that. Great. So for my new listeners, this is a dialogue. This is a conversation. It's very informal. We have not really just talked about what we're going to be talking about. I haven't really sort of did a pre-interview because the idea is that we want you to feel like you're part of a conversation that Michael and I are having. And you just, we're sitting at lunch or sitting wherever having a drink. And we're just talking about where the industry is going. So we enjoy them. We try to keep them to less than 30 minutes. So we appreciate everybody listening. I really feel like these are geared towards the financial advisor. If you're a financial advisor listening to this and you have friends that haven't listened yet, share this if you could. That would be great. We're finding that people are, I know this sounds odd, but sort of binge listening to these things over the weekends. I don't know if I would binge listen to myself all weekend long, but that's okay. I appreciate it anyway. So Michael, we're just going to jump right into it and we're going to cover a couple of different areas. The last few podcasts that I've had, we really wanted to sort of talk about the elephant in the room and that is the COVID environment. And as a senior leader, the senior leader at Triad Hybrid Solutions, and maybe before we sort of get into that, what is Triad Hybrid Solutions? Maybe give the listeners, I guess I make an assumption because in full disclosure, some of my best and largest clients I've actually advised and guided to go into Triad Hybrid Solutions. So I'm making a poor assumption that people know. Maybe give us a little bit of color on the firm and a little bit of your background, and then we'll get into some of the Q&A. Glad to be with you and your listeners, and I appreciate the invitation. Happy to talk about whatever comes to mind. Triad Hybrid Solutions, the company that I work with, is designed as an RIA for firms that don't want to run their own RIA. And the ideas were different terminology, different vernacular, depending on where you go. But integrated service provider is a term you'll hear fairly often. But effectively, we're an RIA. It allows advisors to come under that compliance structure. And then we provide integrated technology, core technology that advisors need to run, financial professionals need to run their business, CRM, performance reporting, data aggregation, putting together DocuSigns, they do electronic, all the core things you have to use to run your business. And then we also provide the operations side. So we're providing billing, we're providing some of the liaison between the custodial relationships to smooth out some of the, what can be sometimes a confusing experience with some of the custodians as their teams turn over or policies change, we take that on as well. So compliance, operations, technology, and then consultative support. That's the rest of the tri Solutions. So for independent RIAs, we're trying to be that back office and provide some consultative front office industry guidance and expertise that when you're an independent RIA or an independent advisor, can sometimes be difficult to locate. So that's what Triad Hybrid Solutions is. Now, we also have, Frank, my sister company is Triad Advisors. 
and Triad Advisors is an independent broker-dealer. So some of the advisors under Triad Hybrid Solutions are duly registered with the Triad Advisors broker-dealer. And that's a perfectly acceptable. If you want to be fee and commission, we've got both solutions. So they have their brokerage business on the Triad Advisors, and then they have their RIA fee business on basically your corporate RIA. Are you multi-custody? We are. So for the advisory business, you can use Schwab, Fidelity, and TD Ameritrade. We'll look to expand that probably over the next couple of years, as specifically since we do see some consolidation, which I know you're going to want to talk about at some point in the call. We want to make sure we maintain some choices out there for advisors as they move along. Yeah, Schwab, Fidelity, TD, Ameritrade, then the broker-dealer business is through National Financial primarily, depending on how you're doing commission business, if you're doing commission business. Okay, great. So we'll just sort of get into it because you mentioned sort of consulting and leadership, helping the practitioners and the businesses that are on your platform. So during this whole just crazy period of time with COVID, what have you been doing specifically to help the businesses that are on your platform? Because you have a lot of them and they're all sort of siloed in their own little businesses. And I'm sure there's some collaboration. I've tried to do that with my clients that have been on the platform, try to collaborate together. But give our listeners a little bit of an idea of the types of things that you're doing and have done to help sort of lead your advisory teams through the crisis. And then also secondarily, what kind of advice are you giving them in terms of how to take advantage? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but the reality is I know some, how to take advantage of an opportunity to really gain market share. There's a lot there, Frank. We start with the beginning with when the crisis really came to the forefront, at least that we all understood it to be a crisis, was probably around February to March. That's certainly when the markets noticed there was a problem. So at that time, we did what I hope a lot of our advisors and other advisors in the industry are doing. We reached out to our clients. The first thing that I think this business is about, and this is a cliche at this stage, it's a relationship still. It is a relationship. It's always been a relationship. And where the puck is going, does anybody remember talking about robo? Remember when that was a thing and a threat? No one talks like that anymore. Now, there's some aspects of technology that maybe are beneficial, but what came out of that was we all realized that it really is a relationship business. The first thing we did was reach out to our teams. And our teams look totally different from one another. So under our structure, each office maintains its own brand, its own personality. So we've got one or two person offices, and then we've got big teams, anything from 30 million to 700 million. So each of them are going to approach this crisis a little bit differently. And the only way I can be of use to them is to understand what they are going through individually. So reaching out was the first thing. When we did that, we said, simple questions. What are you doing with your investors? How are you communicating with them? Now, it was a subtle way of encouraging them to reach out to their investors. Don't let your investors be scared. This is where you earn your keep. And I have to tell you, Without exception, Frank, every office had a already developed a communication plan and was in the beginning stages of execution. If not just picking up the phone and making as many calls as they could, putting together some commentary, writing down what they were seeing in the news and making some assumptions about it. So the first thing was communication. So my first piece of advice is communicate, communicate, and then over-communicate. We're going to come to how you can take advantage of this situation. As you asked, why waste a crisis? If everybody is a little bit uncertainty, that means someone's doing the right thing, reaching out to their clients and bringing them comfort and stability, and someone is not. And those that are not, those that are hiding from their clients in this kind of environment, 
Well, those clients need a better advisor. They need yeah. someone in their corner. They need somebody that's going to be behind them. And so the first thing we said was you need to be transparent. But not to interrupt, but they also need to be at the right firm because candidly, I've seen good advisors at, I'm not going to say bad firms, but good advisors at firms that almost restricted the type and methods at which an advisor could communicate to their clients. And so that was really difficult. So I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that that was a critical piece. Hugely also. important. Right. You're absolutely right. If an event like what happened in March, or there have been multiple events, flash crashes, it's not like the world is new to crisis. We're going to run into these moments. And I think the advisors should ask themselves, are you with the kind of firm that allows you to respond in the most ethical way that you can as quickly as you can to maintain that relationship? And if you've got to wait two weeks to get turned around on a one pager that says, I'm still here. I'm watching what's going on. I don't know any more than you know, but I'm paying close attention and we'll make appropriate adjustments if we need to. If something changes with your circumstances, call me right away. So the first thing we did was try and emphasize communication. Second thing we did was we put out as much information as we possibly could about how to manage their own offices. While all the things were going on with the markets and Business continuity planning is not something that every advisor is spending a great deal of their time and treasure on to make sure it's in good place. They need some good advice on that. So we were making sure that they understood. We sent out an essential worker letter. So if they needed to get to and from their office, and at the time, you have to keep in mind, we didn't know if the National Guard was going to be stopping us on our way to work. So we armed our, I mean, it's the wrong terminology, but we provided a letter that if an authority asked, here's a letter from my office, it explains who I am and what I do. So we gave them a little bit of comfort in that. And then we gave them just good old fashioned advice on how to make sure their technology is secure in their home, make sure they've got the right hardware, make sure they've got the right bandwidth. Most of our advisors were able to adapt very quickly. Some of them, it was a little more challenging. Our office was 100% work from home in seven business days. So everyone in my back office was home in seven business days. I have to compliment my back office team for being able to be that way. So that our advisors, when they called into us, we were immediately in action. So no disruption of service from us meant that they could rely on us to call and say, hey, what do I do about my assistant who is maybe elderly and can't come in or shouldn't come in? Or we were able to be there and be present for those kinds of conversations and give them confidence that you can work from home. You can do this from anywhere. I mean, look what we're doing right now, Frank. This podcast you've got is fantastic. And I think it's a medium that a lot of advisors are just now exploring for the first time with their client. So we're encouraging the advisors to maintain their cool. From a crisis leadership standpoint, I think the most important thing you can do is maintain your cool. You're going to have to identify where your liabilities are, identify where your exposure is, so that you can address that one thing at a time, and then figure out what your competition is doing or not doing. And as you do that, you'll start to figure out the most important thing is to take care of your existing business. And so you're going to make sure your liabilities or your concerns are well addressed there. And then you start looking for opportunity. And you shouldn't wait long. Hesitation is probably the worst thing. Rash decisions are the worst thing you can do. The second worst thing you can do is nothing. I'm a big believer in that. No decision is worse than a bad decision because you can always pivot and learn from your decisions. That's it. So I think, Frank, mostly what we did was the same thing our advisors did for their clients still confidence. That doesn't mean that suddenly uncertainty has gone away. The confidence is we will adapt to whatever uncertainty puts in front of us. And we have. 
and our advisors have done extremely well. First couple of months, we gave advice on PPP and whether to take it and how to disclose it if you did. We took a more conservative route on every step of the way to make sure that nothing could ever come back and harm the business of the advisor and their clients. So I think our advisors did exactly what truly great advisors do all across the country, whether they're with us or another firm. They reached out to their clients and said, are you okay? What would you say your best firms, and I think it's important to note that your typical firm does north of a million dollars in production. You have those minimums. And so your partners are really seasoned individuals that are running real businesses, which is why they have some of those things already in place. Maybe continuity planning, because a lot of advisors think it's never going to happen to me. So they just push it off. But sort of segueing into my second question, which is really about technology and how do you think technology is playing a role? And I know it's maybe sounds a little bit obvious. As a matter of fact, I did an interview with one of your teams who was a client of ours, Mooney and Lyons in the suburbs of Chicago, episode 43, if everybody wants to go and listen to it. But it was a great podcast. And he really talked about how he used, if I do say so myself, but he really talked about how he used technology, how they used like specifically Zoom and the fact that one, you let them use Zoom, but really to over-communicate to their clients, do it in a larger scale. Talked about how every Friday they had different calls where it started with like five or six clients. And all of a sudden, a few weeks later, it was like 50 clients inviting a portfolio manager on. And so you have a lot of technology that is none of it's proprietary. It's off the shelf stuff. But what are the things like Zoom, but CRM and reporting and all of those things? How do you see technology playing a bigger role in gaining market share for your practitioners and those that are listening? What should they be thinking about? The first half is operational and it's less sexy and the second half is a lot more fun. You can gain significant efficiencies, significant efficiencies by engaging in your technologies. The number one, I just read for the third year in a row, the number one thing you can do is engage with your CRM system. And one of the reasons advisors don't necessarily like to do that is either because they don't have one that's robust enough to do interesting things and build workflows out of and so forth, or maybe the reporting is cumbersome, but they have to get something rewarding back from their CRM system. Nobody wants to just put data in for the sake of the data in. They want to get something rewarding back. And you've got to have a robust enough CRM system for that to be really anything other than a glorified Rolodex. So engaging with those systems is critically important because if you do, you're going to find there's data in there that can easily be pulled up. Let me give you a simple example. During COVID, you might want to reach out to your what you consider your elderly clients. Now, some interesting political gaffes were made about what constitutes elderly, but let's just assume that people were more at risk if they were over 65. It's not elderly in my book, but take it as it is. You can immediately reach out to them, maybe differently than you do some of your other clients, and right away, with a, maybe a little bit different approach. So I think there's some technology things that people don't think of as part of their practice, as part of their relationship management. And it's called a CRM for a reason, but people don't think of it in those terms. You also need integrations so that you're not going inefficiently from one thing to another with completely different information in both systems. As few systems you can have tell one truth. We've not built anything proprietary, Frank, because, frankly, that's just not the business I want to be in. I got my own pun there. It's not the business we want to be in of building and maintaining technologies. What we want to do is support the technologies that we make available, make sure those technologies are best in breed. I think advisors will find that that's something that they'll want to do as well. So if you've got a reporting system that's just giving you positions and balances, 
you're not as efficient and effective as you can be in communicating with your clients. Got to have a great portal. Clients will go to client portals. Some advisors do have specific books where, nah, I'm not going to engage with the portal. But they will if there's something interesting out there for them with which to engage. So I do think there's an opportunity there for advisors to take advantage of people being more engaged in technology. I got to tell you, I was not a Zoom user. I wasn't doing this very often. Now I'm doing them constantly, four, five, eight a day. And that's the more comfortable you get in that skin and getting a little bit of acumen on the thing, you can get so much warmer. So let me tie that in the boat. Using the internal technology can make your office more efficient, infinitely more efficient, and more accountable. So take advantage of this opportunity to dig into your technology and spend time with it, get the most out of it, maximize it. That's my first piece of advice. But then anything you can do to make it a little more interesting, a little more engaging with your clients, copy talk, some of these satellite pieces, e-money, some of these pieces that have different wealth management tools wrapped around them. Maybe you want to explore some IPS systems or maybe a risk or something like this to help you tell a story differently than you have before. All of that technology is designed to help your relationship. If your technology is for the sake of your technology, don't use it. If it defines your relationship, it's pushing you closer to your clients, even when you have to be far away, now it's doing its job. Yeah, I definitely found that, unfortunately, that I think that a lot of advisors, to your beginning point, in that a lot of advisors tend not to want to use it or reluctant to use it. And so we have this great technology. And from my experience, the average advisor uses about 10 to maybe 20% of the technology available to them. And I think this whole crisis that we've gone through has thrust technology onto their laps. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't say that it also has thrust technology onto our clients' laps. So like you're saying, we never really did a ton of Zoom and all of those things because it's the financial services practice is a people business and you're supposed to go meet with your clients and, oh, my client is 78 years old and they're not into technology and all that stuff. Well, they're into it now because it's the only way they're going to be able to see their grandkids or their kids or whatever. And so like, hello, advisors, if you're not using this stuff, you are going to get left behind. And so I think that- Well, and we- one, Final point I would like to we know. Frank? Go, yeah. No, after you. You're the go. guest. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, again, back to the relationship piece. With these web meetings, people have been with their families in times of crisis. I was on a web meeting myself with a family member in the hospital that I couldn't go see because of the COVID situation, but I was there and I was present. They've been there for birthdays, joyous occasions where they couldn't be there otherwise. My parents are still alive, thank goodness, and they're down in Florida, and they can't make the trip up, and I really probably shouldn't make the trip down, but we see each other all the time. That's the kind of relationship you really can get with your clients because they're doing it. They're doing it with their sons and their daughters and their overseas friends. There's an awakening and there's a willingness that we didn't even have two years ago, much less the clients. Your clients are using the tools. Might as well use that opportunity. Great. So let's move on to the next question, because I think if my listeners have listened to any number of my podcasts, they understand like if you're not using technology and social media and all that stuff, you're going to get left behind. So I want to shift a little bit and talk about Triad as a firm and some of the things that, so we're going to sort of get like in the business stuff now, but a lot of my listeners are probably thinking about this. When's Frank going to get to this point of the conversation? I guess it's been maybe, I don't know, time flies so fast, but maybe nine months or maybe close to a year now where Ladenberg Thalman, which was your parent company, 
was sold to advisor group. And there was all of this uproar about, oh, here we go. Everyone's going to get consolidated in. And you and I had those conversations like, you guys are a different animal. Triad and Triad Hybrid Solutions is really a different animal. And that, in my opinion, when this went down, and you know, I was pretty vocal on it, some of my hot mic episodes talking about this, I think that one of the reasons why they did this was to pick you guys up. Because that's where the, again, hate to sound so cliche and keep using the same terminology, but Triad Hybrid Solutions is where the puck's going. So what I really want to talk about is, and again, how has it been? What are some of the, maybe some of the positives that you've seen out of it? Because Ladenberg was an older firm, maybe not interested in, in sort of advancements and different things, spending the money on and all that stuff. But so what have been the positives in this and maybe stuff that you are hoping that gets worked out that, hey, look, we're working through these things. It's a growing pains, et cetera. Maybe just sort of touch on what that was like. The deal with Advisor Group closed to purchase Ladenburg and all its subsidiaries, of which both Triad and Triad Hybrid Solutions are only on subsidiaries on Valentine's Day this year. So that gives you the sense of the time frame. And there's a lot of love. We really enjoyed operating under the Ladenburg organization. I think to try and maybe reposition your question a little bit, I think Ladenburg intended to be owners and not operators. And we liked that. I think a lot of us enjoyed that structure of maintaining the autonomy of each of our companies. When Advisor Group came along, they're owned by a private equity firm, Reverence. When Advisor Group came along, they are true experts in the field of financial services. And we have found immediately, we were dealing with peers, we were dealing with people who were looking to enhance the advisor's experience, looking to grow the business, obviously. And Triad, in our culture, our DNA, going all the way back to 1998 when the broker-dealer was born, is an entrepreneurial firm. So our job is to support entrepreneurs out in the field. And each of us executive leaders, we're entrepreneurs at heart. And the advisor group acquisition, the proof has to be in the pudding. Everybody's got to see what actually happens as things evolve. But from a triad perspective, speaking only for triad hybrid solutions and triad, they've been extremely complimentary of our brand. We've been supporting independent RIAs and fee-based firms since our inception. That was one of our differentiators back in 1998 and all the way through. So that brand recognition, that cultural difference in the industry is what separated us from the rest of the industry, even when we were part of Ladenburg, and even now when we're part of advisor groups. So Triad Hybrid Solutions has got a unique space and the way that we support that dual registrant as on the broker-dealer side, advisor group is really excited about. So our brand will be maintained, at least that's our expectation, that both Triad Advisors and this this core of Triad Hybrid Solutions will be maintained. And they're really excited. We've spent time with Reverence. We've spent time with the Leadership Advisor Group. I don't reveal too, too much, but I'll say that Advisor Group was actively pursuing a path to build out a solution that looks remarkably like Triad Hybrid Solutions. They spent a great deal of resource and energy trying to put together a plan. How do we do this? And what do you know? When they purchased Ladenburg Falman, they go, oh my God, we got one. So, <laughs> They've been very interested in growing and investing. We talk often about what the future holds. I will say that there's not been a lot of motion on making changes for Triad Hybrid Solutions in particular, largely because of some of the other things that happen when you acquire a very large firm. I mean, Advisor Group is now, depending on your metrics, the second largest network of financial professionals in the world. And so that being the case, there are a lot of factors to be played with, but we're excited about the opportunity that Advisor Group is very much looking to invest and directionally likes where we're going. The truth is, 
it's not a mystery. We're not smarter than anybody else. You said where the puck is going. The industry has been telegraphing this play for a very long time. So we just decided to run the right route. That's kind of where we're finding yeah, look, a lot of interest. Is, I, think, is, I think that, again, I've been very vocal about it. They recently, sort of on the opposite side of that, there was some consolidation with a few firms that were part of Ladenburg and Security Service Network, was it Trustmont, and I'm forgetting the other one. Investicorp, KMS, and Right, KMS, excuse me. KMS, not Trustmont, sorry. So those were firms that you could see almost right at the beginning. We were saying, okay, if there's any consolidation, we can see that coming. They did that. Look, it made perfect sense when there's overlap. Some of the advisors at the firms may not have been thrilled about it, but at the end of the day, that made sense. But really, Triad, the advisor group really didn't have anything. We've done business with them. We work with them. And so you are definitely a unique animal. So that brings us right into the next sort of next question, which is something I've also been vocal about, and that is the state of the RIA space and where it's going. Obviously, consolidation, it's not like some big secret between Schwab and TD, in case you haven't heard about that. But I think that, oh, I haven't heard about Schwab and TD, really. But in terms of where the business is going, how do you see this space with the consolidation? You touched on a little bit, the consolidation of Schwab and TD, the competitive market being what it is. It's my contention that even though you're going to see some large practices come into the space, I think you're going to see some consolidation maybe at the lower level because some practitioners, RIAs specifically, just can't be as competitive. So what's your opinion and how are you positioning Triad Hybrid Solutions to take advantage of this sort of train that's coming for some of these advisors? It's a fascinating shift in the industry, isn't it? I can tell you up until five years ago, so I've been with Triad for 15 years. Up until about five years ago, I spent a great deal of my time and energy educating advisors on how to start their own and run their own independent RIAs. And we still support that, by the way. So if they want to run their own RIA, they certainly may. But about five years ago, what shifted was two important industry things. The regulatory world got significantly more onerous, and we can point to 14 different things that happened about that time. And then the technology world started picking up pace at a pace that was faster than most advisors can keep up with and still maintain their relationships with their clients. That technology piece and that compliance piece really put a lot of pressure on running what has been historically the average RIA. Different statistics will tell you different things, but the average size of an RIA right now is $65 million. Again, up until about five years ago, I spent almost 20 years teaching advisors how to run, at that time, almost 20 years, teaching advisors how to run an RIA. I don't believe I'd do that right now. I don't believe I'd want to have my own independent RIA and have four different state registrations maintain the custody decisions and all the things that go with it. So yes, I do think you're going to see a fairly substantial continuation of consolidating sounds almost like you're giving up ownership. And I don't know that advisors have to do that. Maybe they can, maybe they want to, maybe they'd like to see some equity exchange. But I think by and large, advisors are just looking for economies of scale so they can continue to to serve their clients the way they know they should be served. And be competitive. So you're going to see both and be competitive. So you put your finger on, and I don't mean this to be a commercial tried hybrid solutions, but you put your finger on exactly what we built this particular structure to achieve. Advisors that don't necessarily want to come under somebody else's brand, somebody else's umbrella, somebody else's ownership. They want to come under a structure that gives them the best and breed of everything. No one could ever take their mind off of compliance, but they can shift a lot of that responsibility onto people that are doing it all day, every day. 
and continue to run their business. So that's what we've seen, Frank. And interestingly, I'll tell you two, well, I think are really interesting things. The breakaway broker thing has been a trend that's been going on since about 1995, right? But picked up probably around 2005, 2006 in the Merrill world. That's a trend that's been, been gaining steam for a while. The new one is where advisors are willing to give up existing RIAs. And we've had three advisors in the last about nine, off the math, nine, 10 months that have decided I have my own RIA and or I operated under someone else's independent RIA and either I don't want to do all that anymore or I don't want to spend time with these guys anymore. And so they've decided to, to decouple. I think we're going to see a lot of movement like that. Part of it is socioeconomic. Part of it is this COVID thing. People are so introspective now about what they really want out of life, which is great. You know, do I really want to work under this structure anymore? Or do I really want to spend my days trying to figure out the new plain English ADV or the CRS? I think people are really evaluating what they want their future to be. And that isn't to say that we don't have advisors that are moving along a continuum, and it's, the continuum goes back and forth, that they do want to have their own RIA or they don't. But the decision is not as obvious as it once was. By a no, I, I think that, as you call it a continuum, I think you referenced the $65 million advisor. I would never advise someone with $65 million in assets to go out and start their own RIA. It's too onerous. And candidly, you and I have gone through this a number of times. The economics don't work. So I still think it's a trend that you're going to see, but the average advisor doing that is going to have a lot more assets in the multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, billion dollar plus, where you can bring on staff and you can bring on people that you not can delegate to. Because look, when the SEC walks in your office, they don't really care who you delegated what to. You're the owner. You're the one signing off on it. They want you. We're actually working with a number of them. And one is a very large RIA. And he just wrapped up his nine-month SEC audit. Nine months. And he said, when I'm done, I never want to do this ever again. And we were really able to show him when you look at all the math, if you go onto a corporate RIA and you maintain all your flexibility and branding and ownership and all that stuff, how much is your margin spread with owning your own RIA? Is it a money thing? Is it an ego thing? Because you want to tell people at your country club that you own your own RIA or whatever. I just think that, that we're going to see some of those firms consolidating for a lot of different reasons. And I think that this is a warning that if you're thinking about going to an RIA and you're doing that because you want to get away from the FINRA and all that stuff, it's not any better on the SEC side. In my opinion, I don't know about you, I see bigger fines on the SEC side than I see on the FINRA side. So what are your thoughts? The lawsuits are worse on the FINRA side, but you're absolutely correct that it's a myth to think that you can get away from regulation by going advisory. I won't say that wasn't that's always been the case, but those days are gone. And certainly, I would say the SEC has had more impact on any financial professional's daily life in the last five years than FINRA has in the last 10. You look at the custody rules. You look at the exams on mutual fund share classes. You look at the CRS, and you look at the ADV shifts, which have been fairly substantial in the last several years. You can try to get something out of a templated situation, but I, I can tell you that's going to end up costing you more money over time. And I don't mean in arbitrations necessarily, but to get those continually re-upped. And then you have to ask yourself what your time is worth. Like you said, I don't care who you delegated it to, what's your time worth to unwind or rewind or try and unpack what was done there. It can be really, really onerous. Now, is there a break point from a financial perspective? Sure. And your business partner has got to understand that and come to a place that's fair and reasonable in between. But I definitely think 
Frank, we started the thing thinking we'd be perfect for firms under $100 million because it was a state SEC switch from $30 million to $100 million. Now they're going to get a bunch of regulators in their office. We thought we'd be perfect for them. Yeah, we're a good fit for that. But what we're seeing now is 100, 200, 300, and 400 is what we're talking to much more frequently just because exactly what you just said. Not enough juice for the squeeze. I don't give it to these guys. They got nothing else to do but do it all day long. And believe it or not, the operational piece has gotten worse. Billing is a lot more complex when you get two, three, four hundred million dollars than it is when you get sixty-five million. You'd be surprised how much time and energy advisors put into their billing effort. Sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, challenging to do well. So it's nice to delegate that off to somebody else, and you're gonna have to pay them something. But as long as it's fair and reasonable, I think everybody can get on. You can move on with doing what you really want to do, which is run an advisory practice. This has been a great conversation. So why don't we? sort of wrap it up in a bow because you're sort of talking about some of the value adds of Triad and Triad Hybrid Solutions. But for advisors that are out there listening to this and they're sitting, whether it's in a W-2 space or they're at an independent broker dealer and they're thinking about making a move just in general, from your unbiased position, why should they be at least considering Triad and Triad Hybrid Solutions as the potential destination for their practice? I appreciate that opportunity, Frank. I really do. Here's the thing. There are a lot of firms that are attempting to put out in the marketplace back office service providing. They're giving different technologies. Sometimes they're integrating them or they'll tell you they're integrating them. Here's the difference maker. When I say it's a relationship business, Triad Solutions has been doing, the owners and the operators of THS have been doing this fee business for over 20 years. We speak fee. We built it as a fee-based solution not as a broker-dealer solution. We're not accommodating brokers who want to be fee-based advisors. It's a fee-based solution. In fact, we have a number of advisors that are under the Triad Hybrid Solutions that are fee-only, and it's built for that. So that's why we have those relationships with Schwab, with Fidelity, with TD, and eventually with others. Is It really is a fee-focused practice. So when you're making that change, when you're thinking of making that change, wherever you are now, there's got to be some impetus. You've outgrown the space that you're in now. You're going to need a partner. You're going to need a friend in that. You're going to need someone to help you translate just the words that your current environment uses to the world you're moving toward. And I think that what we've tried to put together is a best-in-breed compliance that you can feel good about and have confidence in wherever you grow, whatever direction you want to go in your practice. It's not ours. I think that's where, unfortunately, the industry has gone a little sideways in trying to teach advisors how they should run their practice. Instead, we say, how do you want to run your practice and see what we can do to provide the solutions to allow you to do that well? And I think that's the difference maker. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. This was really great, actually. We covered a bunch of different topics, so we threw a lot of advisors to listen to. For those listening, thank you very much for joining us. Michael, it was a great conversation. For everybody, please don't forget to share this with your friends, associates. You think someone's thinking about making a move or maybe you're thinking about making a move, listen to this again. Of course, always reach out to me if you have any interest in consulting with a firm like Triad Advisors and Triad Advisor Solutions. You can DM me at franklarosa.elite or you can shoot me an email at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com and I can get you connected with Michael and his team and you'll understand in a very short period of time why my largest clients over the years have more or less chosen Triad and Triad Hybrid Solutions as their destination. And I can tell you they're very happy. So Michael, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. 
If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.